0: The days drift off into the winter darkness, and we have already arrived at day nine of Blight Christmas, a horror holiday together. I am Sean, and today I'm pleased to share with you a contribution from my theater company, Oncoming Productions. We didn't think it was right to have a collection of holiday horror without at least one spooky Victorian tale, and so that's what we have for you. The story you are about to hear was written by Algernon Blackwood, and first published in Pal Mall Magazine in 1908. And all told, I think it has held up pretty well. Please enjoy The Kit Bag.
1: The Kit Bag, a story by Algernon Blackwood, adapted for audio by Sean Dillon of Oncoming Productions.
0: Pardon me, Arthur? Yes, come in i just came from court sir they announced the john turk verdict and not guilty by reason of insanity
2: congratulations mm. that's too bad i've never so dearly wanted to lose a case john turk isn't insane he's a callous cold-blooded killer the worst i've ever encountered no man ever better deserve the gallows eh? i'm just glad the case is over i'm glad too Ah, yes. Heading abroad for Christmas, aren't you? Skiing in the Alps, is it? If I was your age, I'd come with you. And now I can catch the morning boat. (laughs) Oh,
0: But that's not the reason I'm glad. I'm glad because I never have to see that man's horrid face again. His bat white skin, the dark matted hair, that flat, inhuman gaze. I can see them even now. And then the descriptions. The way the dismembered body was crammed and packed into that... Don't!
2: Don't dwell on it. Don't think of it. Such pictures have a trick of coming back when one least wants them. Go. Enjoy your holiday. I shall want all your energy when you return. And, uh, don't break your neck skiing. Thank you, sir.
0: Oh, I knew there was one thing I wanted to ask you, sir. Would you mind lending me one of your kit bags? It's too late to buy one tonight, and I'll be at sea before the shops open in the morning. Of course. I'll send Henry with it to your rooms. You'll have it the moment I get home. I promise to take great care of it. Happy Christmas, sir.
1: Happy Christmas. With a smile and a hearty handshake, Alastair Johnson, private secretary to famed barrister Arthur Wilbramson, exited his offices, mind awash with the brilliant sunshine of the high Alps in winter. A welcome change from the present dark, windy, sleety chill of London. He stopped off for a hot dinner at his club then on to his rooms in Bloomsbury. He occupied the top floor in one of those old gaunt houses in which the rooms are large and lofty. It was cheerless, but at least it was quiet, as if the floor below his own was wholly unoccupied, save for a dusty grandfather clock. And the landlady, Mrs. Mux largely left him alone. Oh Mr.
2: Johnson! Oh,
0: Mrs. Monks.
2: This bag come by a man from Mr. Wilbram, sir.
0: Ah, yes. Thank you. Oh, Mrs. Monks, I will be away the next ten days on holiday. I'll leave an address for letters.
2: Well, I hope you'll have a merry Christmas, sir. And better weather than this, eh?
1: Indeed. Good night, Mrs. Monks. This duty done, he retired to his sitting room. It was even bleaker than usual. Sleet and wind... Rattling at the windows.
0: I'll just put a kettle on for coffee. Hmm. And now to pack.
1: And so he did. The kit bag was just the thing. A stout canvas sack with brass-ringed holes round the neck for a padlock. It was shapeless, true, and rather ugly. But its capacity immense.
0: Huh. No need to pack carefully. Overcoat, cap and gloves boots skates sweaters woolens socks pants knickerbockers hmm do you suppose the hotel people dress for dinner Well oh, better pack my dress suit there we go I didn't know that clock was wound how terrible to remain in london in weather like this
1: ah that reminds me dancing pumps and evening socks the search for evening socks led him to a cupboard on the landing and just as the grandfather clock ceased its ten o'clock chiming he heard faintly but distinctly the sound of footsteps climbing the stairs below Hello? Hmm.
0: Must be a late lodger on the wrong floor.
1: Unsoothed, he took the socks and returned to his sitting room. Approached from afar, the condition of the kit bag was striking. It was even older and dirtier than he had first realized, and quite stained. But more than that, in the light and shadow of his lamps, The slumped bag had taken on the uncanny imitation of a face. Creases in the canvas for nose and forehead, the brass rings for eyes, a brown stain for a mouth. For the first time in his life, he felt a bit creepy, because it was not just any face. To Johnson's eyes, it was so absurdly, so outrageously, the very face of John Turk, the murderer.
0: this is ridiculous that horrid case has gotten to you Alistair perhaps I'll move to the front room where there is better light
1: so he did and the light from its hearth was soothing indeed but his comfort was short-lived for no sooner had he settled in than the unmistakably real sound of heavy yet furtive footsteps could be heard from the stairs leading to his landing much closer than before He rushed to the top of the stairs, but there was no one to be seen.
0: Hello? Mrs. Monks? Is someone down there?
1: He descended to the floor below, turning on the electric light. A single bare bulb, to reveal. Nothing. No sign of any person, nor any marks of their passage in the dust, nor any stick of furniture large enough to hide a dog. Is that you, Mrs. Monks? Hello? He received no reply but the echo of his own voice. It is difficult to say exactly at what point fear begins, when the causes of that fear are not plainly before the eyes. Impressions gather on the surface of the mind, film by film, as ice gathers upon the surface of still water. Then a point is reached where the accumulated impressions become a definite emotion, with something of a start. Johnson suddenly recognized that he felt nervous, oddly nervous.
0: Hmm. My absurd imagination, I suppose. But it did seem so real and so close.
1: He returned to his favorite chair in the front room, where he drank up his coffee and smoked a last pipe, both excellent relievers of nighttime anxiety. And yet the seeds of uneasiness grew. It was overtaken by the feeling of having... Done something terribly wrong. Something he knew to be wrong, though he couldn't name it. It vexed him. Well,
0: never mind. This is pure nerves. I must go to bed or I shall be a sad mess for the morning boat.
1: He rose and moved toward his bedroom. As he passed, he glanced at the landing and was stopped short. His momentary gaze had taken in a shadowy, hunched figure in the dark, mere steps from the top. On a second glance, the figure was gone. He quietly backed away, then rushed to grab the poker from aside the hearth. As he did, he could hear, clear as day, swift but stealthy steps moving from the landing into his bedroom. It was at this precise moment that he leapt the boundary line from nervousness into the state of fear. Acute, unreasoning fear.
0: That was someone on the stairs, then. Right.
1: He stood stock still for minutes. Finally, armed and encouraged by the poker in his white-knuckled hand... He approached his bedroom.
0: Who is there? Mrs. Monks, is that you?
1: He turned on the light. His room appeared quite empty. Under the bed, in the wardrobe, everywhere, empty. Who's there? What do you want? His curtains betrayed a hint of movement, driving him to the window. He dashed them aside, the window streaming with rain. Was all that met his eyes. Just then, a terrific gust of wind tore at the pane.
0: Ah! Well. Well, at any rate, no one is here. That much is clear.
1: And yet, he felt watched. He stepped backwards into the middle of the room. And something nearly tripped him up. <clears throat> the kit bag?
0: Odd. I don't remember setting it there. My mind is playing the most absurd tricks. Perhaps I will go have a further sit before bed.
1: He returned to the front room and returned the poker to its place, determined to clear his thoughts. But unpleasant haunting memories have a way of coming to life again just when the mind least desires them in the silent waters of the night. And so it was.
0: I keep seeing that murderer's face lowering at me from every corner. The white skin, the evil eyes. I wish I had never seen John Turk, that horrible creature. (laughs) Oh, listen to yourself. This is all rubbish and nerves. I'm overwrought, overtired. At this rate, no doubt I shall hear steps and things all night.
1: (laughs) And so he retired, one last time towards the bedroom, loudly humming a dancehall tune as he went. Mm -hmm. But as he hit the brass button for the light, his blood ran cold. The kit bag was there, just where it had been. But just over its crumpled top he saw a head and face slowly sinking out of sight, as though crouching to hide. Who's there? Who are you? He stepped forward to look, and he found no one, of course. He threw the bag open, and it was three-quarters full as he'd left it. And he saw, for the first time, a large stain of dull crimson around the inside lip, an old and faded blood stain. He recoiled as though his hands were burnt, and would have sworn the bag lurched after him. No,
0: no, 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 no. He
1: collapsed backwards, slamming the door with his body, and in the same motion catching the switch for the light, plunging the room into darkness. It was an awkward and disagreeable predicament, and he remained still in the dark and silence for some time, on the edge of terror. That is until he heard the kit bag shuffling heavily across the floor in jerks. That drove him to genuine horror and his hand to the light switch. He immediately regretted the instinct for in the light of his bedroom stood the very figure of the murderer John Turk his hands gripping the neck of the kit bag. Johnson's mind raced and came to swift realization.
0: That kit bag, that ghastly, dirty bag, the crimson stain, its dreadful, distended condition, that's the bag, the bag that held a body, a dismembered body, stuffed limb by limb with lime and buried, then dug up and produced in court as evidence.
1: He fumbled for the door handle as the thing he most feared came to pass. John Turk lifted his devil's face and looked at him. It's
2: my bag,
1: and I want it. Johnson clawed his way out of the door and collapsed. He remained unconscious until the grey dawn peeped through his bedroom windows. He awoke, stiff and bruised, and crawled to his front room where he covered himself with an overcoat in the armchair and fell back to sleep. Until...
2: What? You ain't been to bed, sir? Are you ill? Anyhow, there's an urgent gent arrived downstairs for you, though it isn't yet seven o'clock-ing. and
0: is it? What is it?
2: A man from Mr. Wilbram, sir. Wanted to catch you quick before you go abroad, he said.
0: Show him up at once, please.
2: He's just here, sir. I'll excuse myself. Mr. Johnson, sir, pardon me. Yes? There's been a terrible mistake, sir. I... Brought you the wrong kit bag yesterday. It was sitting in Mr. Wilberhamson's entry, and I just assumed... Turns out that bag had just been delivered from court. It was the one John Turk stuffed that body... Well, anyway, the proper bag was still up in Wilbur Hampson's bedroom, and he was awful upset when he found it, sir. He insisted I come right over this morning before you set sail to give you the proper bag and take the other back.
0: Do you think you could empty the contents for me? Just dump them on the floor?
2: Of course. Oh, and... One other thing, if I may, sir. Yes? Knowing your interest in the case, thought you might want to hear that John Turk killed himself with poison last night, just after his release. Left a note saying he'd be much obliged if they'd put him away. Same as the woman he killed in the old kit bag. What
0: what time did he do it?
2: According to the warder, sir, ten o'clock by the bell.
1: The Kit Bag was an oncoming production featuring Sean Dillon, Nicholas Lehman, Michael Rogers, and Maria Bartoli.
0: You have been listening to Blight Christmas, a horror holiday together. Tomorrow we bring you Tom Reed's personal best. That's both the title and a pretty apt description. Don't miss it. If you're enjoying what you hear and want to support it, we invite you to donate at the link in the show notes. All donated funds will be shared among the participating companies to support their continued work. Intro and outro music is by Mew and used under blanket permission. A link to their work can also be found in the show notes. Light Christmas is produced by Oncoming Productions with generous
1: assistance from Hot Chocolate Media.